Amen. Thank you. I feel it's a lot of time as, uh, as believers in not knowing the resources that we have in Christ. Today I want to talk about that actually. And uh, I want to speak about, it's called More Than Conquerors. More Than Conquerors in Christ. And uh, I want to hopefully speak on the position that we have as God's children towards the struggles that we face in life. Is it, is it victory over sin? Is it about obedience to Christ? It is by faith in Him, and we grow from faith to faith. And we know that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And one of the biggest examples in Scripture with that, that I find, and I always find a blessing, is with the, um, the exodus of the children of Israel, Israel from their journey from Egypt into the Promised Land. There, there are so many parallels there of our walk. Um, it's amazing. But I will try to, I will basically focus in on one. And that is conquering. And having faith and trusting God. So welcome everyone that is here. It's a blessing to have you. Um, before we go on, let's all rise to our feet. And ask the Lord for his blessing. This hour here. Lord, we want to worship you this morning and give you thanks. We come before you in Jesus' precious name. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, this morning for your grace and for your mercy, for your love that was poured out towards us, for your abundant grace, Lord, that we as your people have. And Lord, we pray that today may be a day, Lord, that we may examine our hearts and our lives, Lord, if, to see if we're even walking under that umbrella, under this precious grace, Lord Jesus, that you have given us. Lord, we pray that, that in us we can find faith, even as small as a mustard seed, Lord, that trusts in you, that relies in you, that relies on your promises, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that, that your very life in us may keep us and keep us going. And Lord, we pray even a hedge around us, Lord, in all these things. Lord, we pray for your word to come forth this morning. We pray, Lord, that you may speak to us, that your truth may penetrate our hearts, Lord, in a new and living way. Holy Spirit, we pray that you may fill this room, our hearts, and that there is no room for the enemy. In our hearts and in this room this morning, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is at this time of the year when the children of Israel commemorated the deliverance from Egypt and Pharaoh by the mighty hand of God. And it is a big deal. Even throughout Scripture Testament, it, it comes up hundreds and, and even thousands of years after that. 
that he went back and looked at this wondrous deliverance from Egypt. And again, I feel if we have a path from death onto life, it's as much of a miracle in our life. And um, even their, their whole journey, as God took them from place to place, there are also similar aspects of our faith that should be self-evident. It should be clear. There, there needs to be an Egypt. There needs to be a crossing through the Red Sea. There is a wilderness. And there needs to be a wilderness, I believe. This is where we learn to trust God. And then there's entering into the rest. And like I said, if we are on a journey, I believe every believer is on a journey. We should be able to pinpoint in these areas of our life, these times of our life, where we've experienced something very similar. Especially the people around us. I like to remind us that People should not have to guess, you know, guess if we are followers of Christ or not. It should be obvious. Even when, when young people come and ask for baptism or when it, it's especially in young people and, and they hear the teachings and they hear the good things of the Lord. And it, it's, it's in all of us. People shouldn't have to guess, are you a believer? You know, you know that shouldn't be any guesswork. It should be evident that we're in love with the Lord. We're in, the, we're in love with God's people. We're in love with the things that, that, God, that God loves. So <clears throat> I love to compare this Christian journey to that of the children of Israel. In fact, as I said, our, I believe our journey is parallel to that account. There are a few statements that I like to notice. Number one, they were delivered from Egypt. And they kept going. It's a journey from deliverance to rest. Not just going outside of Egypt and then looking back at what, what, what they had there. And number two, they had to endure the wilderness and learn to trust the Lord. Trusting God is something that is where all believers have to come to. Each in every one of us here have to come to the point where we trust God. If we can't turn to Jesus when there's trouble and stress in our journey, then we won't last. We'll come to the Jordan River, we'll see the giants, the fortified cities, and we'll fall apart. Number three, the wilderness wasn't meant to be a journey of a lifetime. Once we're in the once they were in the Wilderness, it wasn't, they were, it wasn't meant to be that people had to live there all their life and die there. That wasn't how it needs to be even in our life. Yet, how many believers keep circling around and around in the wilderness and never conquer Jordan and the enemy in the promised land to enjoy the inheritance? How many of us are just struggling even there in the wilderness and, and, cannot, and cannot even come to the Jordan? Keep struggling and struggling with the same things and not trusting in the Lord. I've noticed that 
in my life that's struggling is a lack of trust, is a lack of believing that God will deliver. Number, uh, number four, the conquering of the promised land was by faith, by faith and trusting the Lord. A violation and not believing in his commandments meant defeat. And the last one, the promise, the promised land had enemies that needed to be conquered. If the enemies were not removed when they would, when they had to be, they would be a constant burden to them. When the Israelites were strong, they would sub subdue them as slaves and as servants. When they sinned and forsook the Lord, the enemy nations would rise up against them and plunder their crops and make them slaves. So God's uh, heart was to get rid of the enemy. Uh, I know it says at one point in, I think it's in Genesis, or is it Exodus, that their, 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 their fullness of their wickedness had not yet come. So obviously, if we look at that whole encounter there, it was also a judgment on those nations that, that needed to be fulfilled as much as God giving an inheritance to his people where there's a ready-made homes and crops and free from wild animals and all that. So these are a, a few points to keep in mind as we go along here. And our, as I said, our journey of faith, our journey of faith is very, very similar. We don't leave Egypt and pitch camp outside the city limits or speak in speaking more terms, flirting with our past and continuously dabbling into our past, this will only weaken us. If the people would have run back and forth from Egypt, they would have never even gotten past the Red Sea. And yes, we commemorate the deliverance from Pharaoh, but we journey, we continue our journey through the Red Sea, across the wilderness to the Jordan River, to the rest of God. And our life in Christ is not meant to pitch permanent camps along the way. As we've often said, it, the kingdom of God is meant to grow and reproduce, to go in and conquer the promised land. And our life has to be a reflection of that in our personal life, in, in the interaction with the world, interaction with our brothers and sisters, there has to be victory. There has to be rest. If we trust in the Lord, He has an inheritance for us. And as the land was free from wild beasts and crops that are ready to go, I believe so our life can be full of blessings if we walk in that. Okay, so for our text this morning, turn with me to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> verses 35 to 39. And so, my heart this morning, it's been on my heart for the past few weeks, is... Brother John touched it pretty good in the opening. Is as believers, 
what is our what is our expectation level it's it's like parenting if if i have a very low expectation for my children that about that level they will perform unless there's some special specimen they will but my children will respond and uh, and, and grow to the point of my expectations and my interactions with them. It is like a company with a good manager. It is like a sports team with a good coach. The expectation of a manager and a coach will do all kinds of wonders on a team, on a business. And if there's little expectation from a manager, there's poor performance from the people. It is with church leadership. It's in the home. And it also comes down to our personal life. If, if we just take a moment and reflect, what, what, do I, what do I, the blessings that we heard in the opening, what do I expect from my life out of these blessings? Is it just survive or is it to thrive we have to ask ourselves this question so verse 35 romans 8 verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop right here. And more than conquerors. And if we look at the things that go against that, it's from hardships, it's from principalities, it's from angels. There is a, a surety and a connection there that Paul is speaking about here. And I believe it does encompass all of our life. And we can... Look at these verses, and we can quote these verses, and then we can even claim them as our own. Yeah, we're more than conquerors in Christ, and really. Pump us up. Or we can hang them up in our houses. But have you ever noticed, if you study true Romans, which we just did with uh, most of it with the young people, we have a progression um, of a person or maybe we should say us, finding the redemptive power in Christ by faith. From the state of our life in the flesh to, to experiencing Christ's redemptive power by faith, to live with him, surrender to him, and then we come to these verses where we can make these proclamations. So there is something happening first in our life before we can make a proclamation that 
we are more than conquerors in Christ. These verses indicate to me that there is a connection and a trust to Christ that affects my life. There is a reliance on his grace. There is a reliance on his protection and source of life. Who shall separate? Who shall separate us? As a believer, there is an inseparable bond there. And Paul is saying, we are more than conquerors in whatever comes our ways. I'll take a minute again to reflect on the, uh, the struggles that we have, the, the issues, the fears, the hurts. In Christ, we've got a promise here that these things. And this is this is that we have in Christ. <clears throat> I believe in Christ, our overwhelming theme should be conquerors. That needs to be our overwhelming theme. Destroy doubt and fear to stand against the attacks of the enemy. To be, to be clothed with the whole armor of God and always be ready to engage in battle. For we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Always, always remember that. That there's two kingdoms out there and one is out to destroy. And if we're adhering to his struggles, adhering to his lies, he's got a part of us. But the good news is, in Christ we can conquer him. So many times we see people professing Christ, but the willingness to obey him as king is not evident. And I believe there is a lot of, many of the times, this is where the problem lies. That we're not willing to obey him as king. In Luke 6, 4, 6, we can also find it in Matthew after the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> after preaching kingdom principles. Jesus said in Luke 46, 646. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Just think about that for a moment. We're, we're so used to this expression, God, Lord, Master, that it's just a name. But in our life, if we dare to call him Lord, may he be Lord, may he be King. And he went on explaining, it's like a man building his foundation, his house on a foundation of rock. A rock foundation. He who hears his words and does it. And we can have all kinds of devotional books and readings and activities, but we have not surrendered our individualistic heart to Christ. We are just roaming around in the wilderness. And we haven't even begun to learn. We have not even begun to learn to trust God. A picture of all that is found in Numbers 13. I want you to go there. Numbers 13. And it is the account of uh, the children of Israel the first time around at the Jordan River. It was maybe a year or so since they would have left Egypt. I'm not sure what the time was. 
timeline was. Some claim a few months, some claim a year. It's irrelevant at that point, but it wasn't long. It was way shorter than 40 years. And um, after going through very challenging times, till they got there, with murmurings and not trusting the Lord to provide in various places. I mean, it, it already started at the Red Sea when they saw the Egyptians coming behind them, and the sea was prohibiting them from moving on. At least until they saw and experienced the mighty hand of God making a way through the Red Sea. And even though they experienced his hand in Egypt, they panicked and already had doubt. And there was murmuring for water. For me, God sent the quail. He sent, he, he gave them water coming out of the rock. So it was, it was very challenging. Let's say it was a year. It was a very challenging year for them. And right before chapter 13, in Numbers 12, if you remember, there's the encounter of Aaron and Miriam. Who is this Moses who has an Ethiopian wife? Is he hearing from the Lord? And so here they are right at the momentum, a momentous moment, time of going into the promise, getting ready to get into the promised land and spying it out. Right before that, there's top people there, right in, in Moses' um, right-hand man, Aaron. And sure, Miriam was highly respected, questioned his authority and who he was. And so the very next chapter, it documents the why, the spies being sent into Canaan. So let's read a few verses from chapter 13. Let's read 1 and 2 here. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. <clears throat> from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man. Everyone a leader among them. <clears throat> Down to verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there are or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Not a time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So in the next few verses, it covers some of their findings, and of course, they experienced the giants, the fortified cities, and also the fruit they found in the graves. And now going down to verse 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And of course, they showed him the grapes and a few other figs. And verse 28, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and are very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which were giants, I believe. 
Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the bank, banks of the Jordan. So they recognized all the forces that could go against them. They feared, again, they feared and started doubting the Lord who brought them here. Not realizing that it was God who had brought them thus far. How can that be? After seeing the plagues, the, the ten plagues in Egypt, Israel being um, delivered from them, not being affected by them, seeing what the Lord did and that he had his end in delivering them from Pharaoh, the Red Sea, the destruction of the army, and providing all the way as they went, hearing him from Mount Sinai. And here he said, go in and spy. Go in and check out the land. Yes, it's exactly as you said, but we're afraid. Does that ring a bell in our own life? Us knowing very well that the only way to life, peace, and rest is in Christ. And yet we, we have some doubt, some struggle, some fear that we don't want to continue on it. And remember, the enemy is a destroyer. If he sees progress in our life, if he sees surrender in our lives, he will come and bring doubt. He will bring fear. He will bring confusion. Just so that we're not progressing in in God's kingdom. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Here is the one voice, the one voice in the crowd crying to the people that everyone felt was a nuisance and should be stoned. The one voice crying in the crowd. It's a challenge for us to hear the, one, the voice of faith. The lone voice crying in the wilderness, prepare, go, do. When the overwhelming majority doubt and fear. Can you imagine again now what faith it needs in God to stand against the voices, the crowd, the throng, throngs of people, how to know God, to recognize his one, the one voice. 31, but the man who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the children, the, the people, <clears throat> for they are stronger than we. And they give the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There, are, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Enoch came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. 
So we were in their sight. And remember, they did not have, as far as we know, any encounter. They weren't engaged in any battle or anything of the sort. It was all fear-driven and a lack of trust in the Lord. And can we see the picture here? They have finally gotten to the place that was promised to Abraham. They were not unfamiliar with the promises. They were not unfamiliar with the workings of God in Egypt and how he provided along the way. But still they didn't believe. And out of the 12 spies, there was only Caleb and Joshua that said, yes, we believe God is on our side. Isn't that scenario familiar in our own lives? We see the goodness and the faithfulness of God all the time, yet we struggle and fail to see his redemptive work in our life and in other, in other people's lives. We fail to trust him with our life. But the people, when they heard the report from the other ten spies, they acted accordingly. And going to chapter 14, verse 1, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Imagine the disappointment and the depravity Pravity of desiring to die in the wilderness or in Egypt. Instead of tasting God's promises, they seriously wanted to return to Egypt. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children become should become victims? Here the lies. They didn't even, like I said, they didn't even have an encounter. But they were convinced already. That our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select the leader and return to Egypt. And just remember, what is, what is Egypt in our life? A lot of times when we are faced with, with making decisions by faith, and we're, we're at the Jordan River in our life, or we're faced with the decisions, what do we do? We go to a place that brings security to our flesh. And this is where we settle down and this is where we take our pacifiers and our whatever makes us, you know, makes us feel good. That's what we engage. We want to go back to Egypt when we're faced with trial, when we're faced with hard things. We disarm, we lay down our weapons, and we go and, and indulge in our securities, in our false securities. I'm not speaking theory here. I'm speaking of experience. I've been on the journey long enough. I know how it works. And we all have securities. Gash soup is a hotter ride security. Makes you feel comfy. 
but there's plenty. And whatever brought somewhat of security, that's where we'll return to, or at least want to. But there's consequences of that. In verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and just spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, hear that, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. It is, isn't it amazing that these two men saw it? Picture clear what was going on. Right just the way God had planned it. That's the way they saw it. And God honored it. God honored them. For even having their heart right, he honored them. In verse 10, here's how the congregation reacted. The people. And all the congregation sat to, sat to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meat before all the children of Israel. And God replied, this is his reaction, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? Believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. As I was speaking earlier, they saw all that he had done and brought him thus far. He said, God said on himself, with all the signs which I have performed among them. I believe we can say the same thing. With all the signs he has done, with all the deliverance, with all the healing, with all that he has done. How long? What is holding us back? And he went on to say, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you, he was speaking to Moses, a great nation mightier than they. But Moses pleaded with the Lord to have mercy on the people and to protect his great name, the Lord's name among the nations. For the nations know the working in the presence, in God's presence in their midst. And he asked him, what will the Egyptians say? And Moses pleaded with the Lord. Verse 19. Pardon the iniquity of this people. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord did listen. The Lord is merciful. In that chapter speaks of the Lord's merciful. And the Lord did listen. But it was not without consequences. Always, there's always consequences. Numbers 14, 29. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number. From 20 years old and above. In verse 33. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. And bear the brunt of your infidelity. Until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land. Forty days for each day. 
you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. Now when the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those men, those very men who brought the evil report about the land, died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephna remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. There is consequence in our own hearts if we choose to disregard the Lord. Once we've tasted, especially. And here's a, here I feel out of this whole story, here is a, one of the more important lessons of the whole account. After they realized their sin and their unbelief, and after they started dying, they decided to go in and conquer the land by themselves. In verse 40, here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. They, sinned, they saw the terror and the rejection of the Lord, and they said, okay, we'll go and do it. But the scary part was it was too late. In Deuteronomy 1, Moses, there's a better view of the account, and Moses recounts the situation. A lot of Deuteronomy, you'll find it this way. In verse 41, Then you answered and said to me, he was talking to the people, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. They were speaking of their own will, of their own desire. Again, already rebelling away from the Lord, what the Lord's desire was. And then every one of you had girded on his weapon. Weapons of war, and you were ready to go into the mountains. And now they actually got ready for battle. And the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Sire to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice or give ear to you. You can picture bees running after someone. It said, as bees chased you, they were running. And what I find very interesting is, seen in today's theology, in the Western world especially, there is this, this unmerited, uh, or how should I say it, grace with no limits. Like you can do whatever you want without limits. But... I've noticed the last two weeks, I've noticed two points, two places already where God did not listen. Here. Wow, that is judgment. And we, we know the story of Ahab. He was evil, yet the Lord showed mercy. It's up to the Lord who shows mercy. That should bring humility to our hearts. 
The sons of Eli, at one point the Lord said, that is enough. You've played with my sacrifices. You've played with my offerings. Enough. No matter what they did, their judgment was on their head. We are serving a God. He decides. That, that just that very thought should put a should put a soberness in our hearts, a seriousness in our hearts. What a suffering God we serve. Does this remind you of the parable of the talents in Matthew 20, 25? He was, he, he gave us talents. He gave us gifts. He gave us hearts to serve. And yes, two of them returned. And it was, re, and they reproduced, it was multiplied. But one didn't. He, he tried to protect it. He tried to save it. He was afraid. And he said and in verse 25, Matthew 25, 25, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Fear again. Look, there you have what is yours. Jesus, or the response was not good. You wicked and lazy servant. And he told him in verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As I said at the beginning, the journey of Israel from Egypt to the promised land is a picture or type of a person's journey from his former life to resting in Christ. And I still believe that these points need to be evident in our life. Not only the points, but the, the times of victory, the times of deliverance should be evident. And looking at the, um, looking at the incident we just read about, can we check even our own hearts? If we're even disobedient to the Lord even now. And maybe we showed remorse. But have we learned to submit and to know his will? To avoid the chasing of the Lord or the wilderness? Are we trying in our own strength? I read this morning that an easy way to discipline is discipleship in our lives is surrender first and discipline. There is a thing about surrender. There's, there's something with surrender that does wonders in our life. So we can be in a rebellious state towards the Lord and be overtaken by the enemy and wandering in the wilderness versus learning to trust God and walk in a surrendered, obedient heart. If there are struggles in our life that we can overcome, it is because we cannot surrender to Christ. And then we try in our flesh only to be defeated over and over and over again. Instead of taking the chastening of the Lord, 
we get our own weapons out and then we start fighting only to be defeated and be chased like beasts. It's surrender. There's this one hymn that we rarely sing here. I'm not even sure if it's in our hymn books. It's called Bound for the Promised Land. I'm sure we all know it. In it, there's this one line that says, I got it from memory. I'm not sure if it's 100% right. On Jordan's stormy bank, I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. And I feel there's too many times we stand and just cast a wishful eye, but fail to realize the trust and the faith it takes to enter in. Yes, we can wish all day long, but are we willing? Are we willing to take the sacrifice and what it takes? Hebrews 3 and 4 are great commentary to this message. I recommend you study these chapters. I think you'd get a lot out of it. But I want to read a few. <clears throat> the first few chapters up to chapter 4 in Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews 3, 7, 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear... If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in a day of trial, in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always do go astray in their heart, and have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I swore in my wrath. They should not enter my rest. And there's two verses that stand out to me more. Hebrews 3.12 Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I've always, did, this one phrase has always caught my attention. An evil heart. He called it an evil heart of unbelief. Which is then in departing from the living God. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And we can go through the motions, but is there evidence in our life of trusting and walking victorious, victoriously by faith? Here's a safeguard. We talked about it on Thursday, but exhort one another daily. What it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That I know at least of two places in Scripture where exhorting one another daily is a safeguard through deceit to the, through the, to the deceitfulness of sin. It is very important that we find such a place in our life of coming together to not, to not neglect. And if, if, it, if it happens to be neglected, to find place of fellowship. Now, if we look at our own life, what is expected of God's people? The spies saw the fortified city and giants, and they felt they were impossible to conquer. Not realizing that with God on their side, all things are possible. When I look around and look at the expectation God's people have 
a lot of times it's it's even a shame there we we there we don't put much emphasis on that at all it sure is different than what Paul said to be more than conquerors who shall separate separate us from the love of Christ tribulation distress persecution fame and nakedness peril sword they said in all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us so may our life be as such that defeats sin increase our territory in him and to be more than conquerors in all these things our lives i believe our lives are more are meant more than to just survive but to thrive what is our expectation and when god touches our hearts or pricks our hearts do we shrink back when we see the giants fortified cities or do we trust are we going to stand with Caleb and Joshua and defeat and inherit the land so blessings amen with that